We've looked twice before. Ephesians 5.16. We find it echoed in Colossians 4.5. The expression is used, redeeming the time. To some people, those words fall on deaf ears. What are you talking about? There was a song in my youth that sang, We have all the time in the world, but we don't. We don't. Time is not to be wasted. If you look on the back of the bulletin, there are three things clipped. And the one in the middle, the longest one, Robert G. Lee. He was the silver-tongued orator of the South, famous Baptist preacher, Pastor Bellevue Baptist of Memphis for many, many years. Marcia and I had the privilege of hearing him in 73 when he came to Shreveport, preached down there at college and church. And he points out that we need to use our time. Every moment is a gift from God. We sing a song moment by moment. It's important that we understand. And uh, Sister Heath, I think it was last week, he gave me this, uh, this uh, mailing out from um, the Sovereign Grace Messengers, it's called. And I noticed Jonathan Edwards, famous preacher from a couple of centuries ago, he had ten resolutions that he lived by. And of those ten, number five says this. Resolve never to lose one moment of time. It was important to him. It's important to those men that were used of the Lord to write down the words spoken of the Spirit. Never lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. God gives us time. What do we do with it? What do you plan to do this week? Are you just going to quit your boat? Are you going to see if you can kill time? If you can just watch it pass. There it goes. Mark another day. Scratch another X off on the calendar. Time is the arena in which we exist. It's, some people like to use it, it's a continuum. I tell people, think of time as a goldfish bowl we live in. Mr. Goldfish, that's the only world he knows. You and I, we can imagine what it would be like to live outside of time. We think about what was it like before time? What will it be like when, when time draws to an end? The Bible tells us a little bit because God is eternal. God is not bound by time. God never gets age spots or anything like that. He never has a, a weak moment in his mind where he says, I used to know something. I'm getting to the point now where there's some things Marshall will say, we, we, we've seen this before. We've been to this place before. And I don't say, no, we haven't. I say, I'll take your word for it. I just don't remember. 
That doesn't mean it's not so. It just means uh, right now I, I, I can't get a hold of that in my head. But time does not affect God. He is the one who is outside of time. He made it. And we've already talked about the fact that it had a definite beginning. We read about that. Genesis 1-1 and other places. Time is going on right now. We mark it by clocks and by calendars and by other devices. We talk about the passing of years. We talk about somebody, they have an anniversary coming. So many years a couple has been together. So many years a person's been alive. So many years a person's been on the job. We recognize the passing of time. But I want to remind you too that time has an ending. That should sober us. Along these lines, Moses speaks in the 90th Psalm. I want you to look here for just a moment. Sometimes this is called the funeral psalm because it does get read a lot of times at funerals. But turn over to Psalm 90, please. Yeah, you got a preacher has to get the bottle once in a while. Look at verses 9 and 10. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. You know, once you hear a story, different characters and different actions register in your mind. If you have ever read Treasure Island, then there are some characters that stand strongly in your mind. If I say Long John Silver, if you've never read Treasure Island, probably go to a fish place. But uh, you think of old Long John. And you think about going to find that treasure, old Big Gun, marooned on an island. And so, with all the, the, the hundreds of pages in a story, just say the title, and it comes to mind. That's the way our lives are. I mentioned Jonathan Edwards, a man who was a scholar, a man who was an eloquent preacher, a man who is tirelessly going up and down the East Coast. And between him and George Whitfield, who came over from England, the two of them were the great leading lights of what we call the Great Revival in this country because the, long before the Founding Fathers, the Pilgrim Fathers came over, and they had a living faith. They were followed by the Puritans after the coast was cleared by the pilgrims, and they came with a many times an orthodoxy that was cold, very stern, not very open to any of the vicissitudes of life, just this is the way it is. And you best, best better learn to lump it. And people became, in the churches, became, things became cold. 
and so formal, so stiff. And uh, some of us may have been in some of those places where that happens. But there was a, a great revival. And so, all, to, to get my mind going along those lines, I just think about Edwards. I think about Whitfield. When I think about preaching at its greatest, I think of the Apostle Paul. I think of John Chrysostom. I think of some others who valiantly and tirelessly preached the word. I think of a man, we call him Patrick, founded 365 churches in Ireland. He was a tireless worker for the cause of Christ. I think of Mr. Spurgeon. I think of others who unapologetically preached the gospel. You know what the greatest criticism they had of Spurgeon? As he was an older man, they said, he had learned enough to get beyond. He's still preaching the same thing when he started out. When he's just a teenager, he was preaching. And, he, and now he is, he's a grown man. He's got kids. And, and yet, he's still, he's just preaching the same thing. Like he was some kind of loser. I'll tell you, we need to stick to the truth. We need to know the truth. And hold to the truth. And so, when I say the gospel, that speaks a world to me. When I speak of the word grace, it has a whole world of meaning to me. And yet it's encapsulated. And I think that's what it means when it says, we spend our years as a tale that is told. The word life doesn't mean too much to some of these itty bitty. It means something different to the teenager. It means something else to the 30-year-old. It means something else to the 60-year-old. And I'm pretty sure it means something else to the 80 and the 90-year-old. Mm -hmm. But no matter how long you live, and no matter how far you've been, and no matter how many experiences you've racked up in life, when it's over, that's it. We spend our lives as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three score years and ten. That was almost reached. Won't be long. Some have ways to go. I can remember thinking 70. I'll never be that old. Marsha was telling how when she was little, they said, let's just figure out how old we'll be in the year 2000. 2,000. Because that, that's so far off. And nowadays, 2,000. Hey, that's, that's in my rear view mirror. The days of our years are three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off. We fly away. Life is tenuous at best. It is temporary. It's like a vapor. You watch the steam coming off the kettle, and now you see it, there you go. Where's it go? That's life. That's a picture of our life. If you're going to do a thing, if you say, I'll get it to it tomorrow. 
some of our friends in some other places say, mañana, always tomorrow. Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Well, it's interesting. Holy men have expressed the realization, not just Moses. Job talks about it. David talks about the brevity, the certainty of death. Joshua in chapter 23 says, I go the way of all the earth. Let me tell you something, folks. You might be full of life and activity and you think you can, you can whip the world. If you live long enough, you won't have so much strength. You won't have, have so much vitality. Reality sets in. And you might be leading the race for a while and then somebody else laps ahead. <laughs> Experience teaches us sometimes better not to speak. When we're young, we think we have all the answers. And we're going to set the world right. We're going to fix the problems of the world. I think every generation goes through that phase. And then you come to the realization that <laughs> I had great thoughts, great aspirations, but uh, reality has set in. We come to see it. Likewise, as David was dying, <coughs> he realized, I'm going the way of my fathers. I'm going to be joining my fathers. Where are they? They're in the graveyard. At least their bodies are. When Peter was preaching there in the book of Acts, he said, let me tell you something. We talk about David and others, but you know, uh, they're still buried in the ground. But Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, he died. He rose from the dead. You and I haven't risen from the dead, not in a physical sense. If you're saved this morning, you've been raised spiritually. Raised to newness of life, and the Lord has made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. That is a wonder. That is a marvel. And that never gets old, no matter how long we've been saved. And we have a privilege to live that before others, and sometimes to speak it through the marvel of electronics. We have a way of recording what we say. And I'm thankful to Brother Jeremy. I got last last week after the services the, the, uh, the messages that our two deacons gave in my absence when I was off a Little Rock goofing off. No, I'd much rather been here. Trust me, folks. But I'm thankful to Brother Dan and to Brother Kenny for speaking. And... Um, I want you to know something, folks. It takes something to stand and deliver the Word. It doesn't necessarily take a whole lot to sit in a pew and listen. Whether you listen half-heartedly or if you're like the person who's leaning forward, I want to get it all. I've known some folks that want to sit as close to the front and they, they want to make sure they get every word. 
And it's something to prepare and to deliver. And I believe both of the gentlemen reminded us that uh, it's a sobering thing. If it ever stops being a sobering thing to me, that's time for me to hang up my Bible. Time for me to take a place on the pew and listen to somebody who's got the drive and the call to do that very thing. I hope you appreciate what that means. I covet your prayers. It's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to meditate and to prepare and then to deliver. It's, it's a good thing to do. It's a fulfilling thing to me. Nothing has fulfilled me in this world like the preaching of the gospel. And you have a way to preach. Perhaps if it's only in the home. If it's only on the job. If it's only with a neighbor. If it's only when you go to the store. Wherever you are. That's important. 2 Peter 3 reminds us even this world. It's going to be burnt up. It's going to be consummated. It's going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Won't be any saloons in the new earth. Won't be any mortuaries in the new earth. No need for the hospitals. No need for so many of the programs that because of sin and shame we have. Won't be in prisons. When I would preach in the prisons, I would remind the inmates sometimes, won't be any prisons in heaven. And I got a whole lot of amens. Can you believe that? They, they, they were tired of being locked up. Put in cages, if you will. Not, not a pretty sight. If you go to Genesis, we read about the beginning. The wrapping up, of course, is the book of Revelation. And there's a song we sing. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. I think we get a clue to that. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6. It speaks to say of God, He's the one who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there shall be time no longer. Time was made by God for a reason and for a season. We're in that season right now. But those of us who are saved by the grace of God, we will spend eternity. Somebody says, what is eternity? Somebody what's time on ending? No, it's beyond time. Won't be any clocks in heaven. Somebody says that's the only thing that the casinos and heaven have in common. No clocks. <coughs> well, there are no clocks in the casinos for a different reason, obviously. But there will be no, well, let's get around to it. No, right here, right now. We're praising God. We're growing and learning what the Lord would have us to know and to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, 
but at the consummation, it will be God all in all. It won't be us running around with this little sideshow or that. No, it will be God. And we will do as God would have us to do. Part of the Lord's Prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here on earth, God tells us to do a thing and say, well, we'll see. Maybe later. I don't feel the need or whatever. No angel has ever said to the Lord, if when I feel like it, I'll get around to it. Well, I'm not convicted about that. If God says a thing, it's so. If God said it, that should settle it. Amen. Like the man, man had a bumper sticker. Uh, we, we had this fellow had his two little girls at uh, Christian school at Roseville. And uh, he had a sticker that says, God said it. I believe it. That sells it. And his name happened to be Larry. And I said, well, Larry, I like your bumper sticker, but it'd be even better. You don't even need that second part. Because if God said it, that sells it. Whether you believe it or not. You know, he got him a magic mark and he wrote straight down that second part. And he tells people, at least he did back then when we were knowing him, he said, if God said it, that settles it. You can have people possible, well, I don't know. I wrote an article somewhere. Certain scholars say, if God said it, that's it. Amen. That's where it is. Because God is the one who operates separate from the limitations of time. We talk about the eternity of God. The infinity of God. The 139th Psalm speaks about God in such a way it says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down into hell, you're there. You can't be where God's never been, where God is not now, and God never will be. That's true about space, which is another continuum, another goldfish bowl God has made. We have not lived outside of the material world. You might think about it. You might dream about it. You might read somebody else's dreams or thoughts about it. But we only exist in a real three-dimensional world. Long before there was a world that God spoke into existence. Long before there was time in which we spend the existence that we have that was God. He is greater than. He is the creator of. And that's where we need to be. The infinite one. Just as Genesis 1 begins with the creation, John 1, the Gospel of John, in the beginning, before there was any land, before there was any sky, before there were any stars, there was God. In the beginning was the Word. That Word, of course, is the one we speak of as the Word incarnate. The message of the Father. The Word of life. Christ Himself. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Don't deny his deity, the last part of the verses, and the word was God. Some people have problems with that. That's their problem. Jesus Christ is God. He's the great God creator. 
We have the Father, the great mind who orchestrates and presides. We have God the Son, the activator. And then God the Holy Spirit, who is also mentioned in Genesis 1. Speaks of the Spirit of God like a hen. We've got some people with chickens. And what's the chicken do? She lays the egg and she walks away. Now, lizards do that. Some other creatures do but chickens sit on their eggs. They cover them up. Keep them warm. Keep them safe. And then when those little chicks hatch, understand if it's Dutch geese or maybe both or maybe something else too, when, when they break out of their shell, the first thing they see, that's my mama. And they follow their mama. The ducks, they, they go into the line down down into the pond and all that, and they follow their mama. They don't have to go to school to learn how to swim. They just jump in, and, and uh, we call it instinct. It's, it's part of what God has placed to give them. Our great God, who existed before the beginning, and He is spoken of as the eternal God, the everlasting God, that uh, is the way he is expressed many, many times in Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, we're reminded that the ravages of time. Some people out there that God is some guy with long gray beard. He's just kind of bent over and he's got a little stick to hold himself up. And, and uh, he's just barely getting in there, you know. Well, that's not how Scripture portrays him. If you look to the 33rd of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Let's go down to verse 27. Eh? The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Who did God use to write that? Moses. You remember Moses? Moses was the one, and there was a time of a battle. And God told Moses, I want you to stand, I want you to be there with your arms raised. And as long as your arms are raised, the battle will be for the people of God. So Moses is not a spring chicken, but he said, I can do that. And he holds out his arm. Holds them up high, I'm sure. And at the beginning of the battle, Israel is winning. The enemy is being conquered. But the battle goes on and on and on. We used to have a gym teacher. Do you think you're strong? He said, you, can you hold something? Yeah. And he, he gives somebody a feather. Now they just, just hold it out in front of you like that. Alright? Good. And... Well, when do I stop? When you're strong, I'm just keep moving. And after a while, those feathers seem to get heavier and heavier. No, no, put those arms back up! Well, Moses started out with his arms up. But after a while, he'd give out. And as his arms went down, so changed the fortunes of war. And the Israelites... We're getting clobbered out there. And they found a rock for him to sit on. 
Moses sat on the rock. And he had two helpers came along. And one of them propped up this arm. And the other one propped up the other arm. And the fortunes of the battle changed again. And Israel won the day. Moses knew, my arms are not infinite. I see these boxers get in the ring. And in the big belt buckle that they have, it says everlast. But they, they're not everlasting. They can only go so many rounds. Sooner or later, usually one of them goes down and somebody counts ten and they're out. God's never been called out. God's never been down for the counts. That's one of the great differences between God and man. You might bluster, I'll make it. I'll get there to the end. Look out. Read James chapter 4. If you think, I want to accomplish this. I'll get it done. No, nothing's going to stop me. Oh, yeah. But we'll just see. He says, underneath are the everlasting arms. If you prevail, it's because God is your strength and your portion forever. Somebody says, hey, hey, I heard what Paul said. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, don't leave out the second part of that. Because Jesus himself said in the 15th of John, without me, ye can do this much. Yep, that's, that's the truth. We need to know that's so. We read about the uncorruptible God. It's true that he can't be bribed or anything like that. You can't get anything over on God, but he does not corrupt. It's interesting. You can just get something. You buy a brand new car, and if you just leave it out, sooner or later, the paint can begin to oxidize. The chrome begins to pit. Somebody found a uh, Chevy from the 50s that had been for many, many years locked up in a garage someplace and they pulled it out and they said that the the tires had gotten so cheesy that they had to put new tires on it because that rubber, I wouldn't want to drive it like that because time takes its toll. We live in a world where time takes its toll. Yes, it's true, Jesus said, lay up the treasures in heaven moth and rust corrupt things in this world. I spent a time I worked for a fur company and I got a real good deal. Lady said, I'll let you get this little coat, little jacket, five cents on the dollar. It was a $2,000 blue fox for $99. I said, that, that's too good a deal to pass up. And so I bought it for Marcia. And on cool days in church, she'd be sitting in church, and Rebecca be huddled up on one side, and Mary be on the other. They loved it when Mama wore that fur coat, because they could be warm too. But you know what? We didn't keep that thing in a special treated vault. And we didn't put some of the things that we probably should have 
And I checked it a while ago, and uh, the moths, yummy, yum, yum. Moth and rust doth corrupt. Thieves break through and steal. Now that we have computers, we have a way to steal by way of computers. You can have something today, and the next, it's gone. Hmm. And yet, we realize that only in God's way, in God's time, if you will, can we have a thing that's going to be valuable. That's why the Lord says, you put your real treasure in heaven. You won't get to heaven and the Lord say, you know, back years ago you did such and such and this is a good work, but uh, <laughs> you took a while to get up here, buddy, and, and now it's all corroded. It's all messed up. It's, it's third rate now. No. Or can you imagine what it would be like if you arrived in heaven and the Lord said, I, I know you did a lot of good deeds in life, but uh, we have a, we have a wicked angel. He's got sticky fingers, and he got it. He took out all your all your treasures, and so hey, he ain't got nothing. That ain't gonna happen, folks. We need to know that that is so. Our great God, and when we speak about everything that God has ever done, we realize. Let's go back to that 90th Psalm. We think of ourselves, we think of our experience, we think of what we can observe, and then how can you even compare it to God, His mind, His ways, His accomplishments. Look at verse 2, it says it all. Before the mountains were brought forth. When did that happen? Long, long time ago. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Adam, the first man, came along after God had formed this earth. Oh, men have seen different things happen to affect the crust of the earth. There were people living in what is now West Tennessee. In the early part of the 19th century, there was an earthquake that really shook things up. Shook it up so much that the water running, flowing in the Memphis, in the, in the Memphis River. The, 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 thank you. The ravages of age. The Mississippi flows from way up in Minnesota all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. But for a while there, the water in the Mississippi backed up and filled in a place. Today it's known as Real Foot Lake. It's a big attraction in West Tennessee. I've been there and people go to swim and the fish and the boat. It's an enjoyable thing, but when that happened, the Indian tribes living around there, they said, see what happens when you have to let the white folks in? Because they started seeing white folks, and then all of a sudden the earth shook, and there's this new lake, which means there's less hunting land. So, different way to look at it, maybe. But 
the people who experienced that, it was a memorable thing to them. And I wonder about Noah and his family. Because they saw a world. And then they got in this big floating box. And they're in there for just over a year in total. People say it was 40 days, right? Well, it rained for 40 days, but the water kept rising. And then it leveled off, and then it came down. You had all those days up in Genesis. It's just a little bit over a full year's time. And when they stepped out of that ark of safety, which is what it was, everybody else had died. All the land-based creatures that weren't in the ark had died. The old world, Peter is used of the Spirit to say, the old world overwhelmed with water. It was a new world! You might say, well, you know, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, things just went downhill and downhill and downhill. But then God washed the earth. Well, that should mean we're off to a new start. Yeah. But yet Noah's children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they populated what we have in the world today. And you know what? We're still building prisons. We're still building ways and trying to have mechanisms, institutions in place to check the depravity of man. The washing that took out the old world did not wash the hearts, the minds of men. When we're born, we come into this world with the same sort of nature as Adam after he had sinned. We come into this world as sinners. That's another thing that God is separate from. God cannot look approvingly upon sin. He never has. He won't today. He never will. That's why it tells us in the 22nd Psalm, it opens with that cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that question is answered if you read on just a few verses later. It says, You are holy. You cannot look upon sin. That is why. The place we call Calvary. It's also called Golgotha. It was a place of death. It was the dead end. It was the end for those who had defied Rome. And Rome terminated them with extreme prejudice, as some would say. And these people were publicly destroyed. They were put to death by way of crucifixion. And when Jesus, this sinless Son of God, was foully accused, abused, and then crucified because our sin was laid upon him. He was not a sinner in any way. He had no connection 
with sin whatsoever except for, as we count time, about three hours. And during that time, sin was upon him. And because sin was upon him, and he bore our sin, the Father could not, would not look upon him. That's why he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of your sin, You'll be saying that. You will stand before God without a mediator, without a substitute, without a sacrifice. Because sin must be paid for. Either Jesus Christ paid for your sin, or you will. That is so humbling. And it is so frightful. I think that's part of the reason why Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. When we talk to people about spiritual things, when we talk about the soul, we're not fooling around. Folks, there's nothing more serious than this. If I went to the doctor and they said, we ran some tests and you got cancer. You're going to die. That's a sobering thing. But sometimes people go into remission. Sometimes people have cures they hope for. Sometimes there's a surgery that can happen. And as long as there's life, there's hope. But there's no hope when condemnation is fully realized to stand in our sin. My friend, if you think, I'm a good person, I don't need Jesus Christ, you desperately do. Now those of us who are saved, I think everyone here who is truly saved, you would say right now, yes, I need the Lord. Not just to know some facts. Not just to put a smile on my face and a song in my heart but to be saved from my sin. To be redeemed. We sang that song, Redeemed. And I love to proclaim it. If you're uncomfortable singing a song like that, maybe that says something. Maybe your heart is telling you, I'm not really okay with this. I thought I was pretty good before I walked the aisle or did this or did that. Folks, if you put all your focus on what you do, no, it's what Christ did. At that place we call Calvary. When He became sin for us. When He was the substitute. When He was the sacrifice. The acceptable sacrifice. Because people have been making sacrifices ever since Cain. He brought some flowers and some nuts and some fruits and some vegetables. Hey God, look what I did. I put a lot of time in it. A lot of my sweat equity. God would not accept that. And God will not accept your, well, you know, I don't remember the PTA. 
I gave some money to the goodwill. I, 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 act, I actually did this and that. I've got a lot of good things to commend me. No, there is nothing but the blood of Jesus. As a song we sing sometimes, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's a good song. I bet you have another song for us to sing. Very good. So let, let's do that now, brother.